Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, folks. Uh, you know what I've been uh, noticing lately? Some of the is that some of the those blue check marks on Twitter that I like to follow, and maybe some of you follow as well like uh, Jesse Kelly and Sarah Carter have been kind of changing their tune and uh, I've kind of noticed that change and I think it is quite meaningful. These people, for example, Jesse Kelly, uh, he's a good example of it, I think. He's a very patriotic, uh, kind of run-of-the-mill American. Uh, he was in the Marine Corps. He's a talented, funny guy. He has a beautiful wife, a beautiful home two beautiful sons, I believe, and he's putting that all on Twitter publicly, so that's how I know. I don't know the guy other than through his tweets, uh, but I can well imagine him. He's the kind of American that I think we all like to see in America. He's a, a patriot. He put his uh, life on the line for his country. Um, and most of all, he's an optimist. He's an optimist. He's somebody who has never had until quite recently any reason to suspect that America was anything but the greatest country on earth, that America's best days were not yet ahead of her, and that everything was not going well, and even very well, with America. Um, yes, the Obama years um, were a, a glitch, a blip, a bad dream, maybe even a nightmare. But I think that, uh, you know, Jesse, who was not originally a Trump supporter, was a Ted Cruz supporter, was a big believer that those um, years, Obama's year, Obama years, could be um, fixed politically. You know, that America could wake up from this nightmare with the election of a normal America-loving president, whether it's Ted Cruz, or as it happened, uh, Donald Trump, and that uh, from that point on, America would regain its course, you know, would find its footing again, and uh, just move on to, as it always had, to greater, better, uh, more successful future. And I think Sarah Carter is, is somebody who has always felt that same way as well. And Throughout uh, the past uh, four years of Trump's presidency, I think that's substantially how they, you know, that, that's the product that these two public figures put out there for, you know, us, for their listeners and their, um, I guess, uh, supporters. Uh, but lately something has changed. Uh, Jesse has become quite dark in his tweets. He has described himself as, baffled with what has been happening in America. And Sarah just, uh, I guess, uh, just today, tweeted that she's feeling like we're living in this ultiverse, in this alternate universe, 
in which you know up is down and down is up and good is bad and bad is good. And I think there's others who are expressing you know similar opinions. For example, Kurt Schlichter, another blue check mark, a lawyer from California who has all uh, had also served in the American military. Another guy who has every reason to be optimistic, you would think, who has everything, you know, uh, that, that who has been very successful in America and very appreciative of the opportunity that America had given him. So what is happening? I believe that what is happening is that these guys are beginning to realize that America that they all knew and loved is simply no more that it is in fact dead and um, so they're entering into that first stage of grief called denial and i think it's already beginning to, to be to get mixed with the second stage which is anger and you know, I can well understand it. I, I think that the reason that they haven't started their grieving process earlier is, as I mentioned, they just didn't know that America was dead. So how can you grieve for somebody that you don't think is dead yet? Imagine that you have this loved one who is in the prime of his life, who has everything to live for. And yes, maybe he's, he's had a couple of glitches lately you know maybe a couple of bad business deals maybe started drinking a bit too much but still you know still you know you feel that they have everything still in front of them and then one day you discover that they have committed suicide well you clearly couldn't grieve for them before you knew that they have committed suicide or had committed suicide, so you couldn't go through these phases of grief. But now that you know it, and you know it with certainty, you can then start the grieving process. And I think that's what's been happening with some of these blue check marks. They understand that we are past the point in which America can be restored via political process or in fact at all so they're at the point where they're just sad they're they're sad they're baffled and they will soon be <clears throat> very angry as well and you know this has historical parallels uh, i follow closely i'm a student of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in 1917. And since I'm fluent in Russian, I can read in the original a lot of the writings by the contemporary uh, contemporaries of that revolution, as well as the current Russian Twitter. And people still discuss it in, in Russia as if it happened yesterday because it has such implications for their daily, daily lives to this today. And what I can tell you is that back then, in 1917, the Russian equivalents of the Jesse Kellys and the Sarah Carters and the Kurt Schlichters were also baffled. They were also baffled. Uh, 
they couldn't believe it that a country that was among the most powerful in the, powerful in the world, more powerful than the United States was at the time, a country that was on the verge of winning the First World War, a country that was in the swing of industrializing, a country that uh, was the breadbasket of Europe that had uh, huge surpluses in its agricultural produce, uh, just committed suicide. They just couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. Uh, they were in denial. They thought that there was this period between uh, October 1917 when that Bolshevik coup d'etat happened and 1920 when the Bolsheviks decisively won the Civil War. You know, these Russian uh, patriots, uh, they thought that the Russian, the white Russian army would win. They thought that the Germans would intervene and save Russia from itself, somehow resuscitate it. There were rumors that the Germans were, and, and other Western countries were coming to the rescue because they would never accept a communist Russia and so on. And none of that, of course, was true. In fact, Russia's suicide was abetted by Russia's enemies like Germany, primarily Germany, just as the American suicide uh, has been abetted by the Chinese and the Russians, uh, in other words, America's enemies. So these, um, there's uh, just a lot of parallels in what has been happening. And uh, another parallel is that the entity called Russia did not disappear. It just morphed into something much less than it was before called the Soviet Union, and that didn't survive for very long. And now it's even less. It's a small shadow of what it was. It never. It's it's about a third of its population now, compared to what it was in 1917. It's about. It only retained. I don't know half or maybe two thirds of its territories. It's mu It's much less important in the world now than it had been back then. Um, it's 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 a mere shadow of itself from every perspective that you want to look at it. And so I don't know what the future holds for America after it had committed suicide, but uh, usually when you die, uh, nothing good follows. And that is going to be true for America. So all this talk about America's best day being ahead of her, well, you know, we can all hope against hope. In other words, you know, we all, we all, and Jews, we all pray and we believe that the dead will one day rise and live again. And yet that, you know, we don't base our operational uh, kind of day-to-day -day decisions on that belief, right? I mean, in other words, my parents who unfortunately died in a uh, climbing accident 15 years ago, uh, yes, I hope that they will be resurrected one day, but let's just say I'm not building them, you know, an in-law su uh, suite in my house. Uh, the same thing with America. Uh, the America we all knew and loved is gone. Who knows if at some point it may, re re you know, regain its glory, but it's not going to be soon. And I think that that's what these people who 
are far from being any kinds of extremists or kooks um, are beginning to realize. I mean, it's, 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 it's sad beyond words, and yet it's a fact. And we have to make our day, you know, we have to make our daily decisions, our day-to-day -day decisions based on facts and not on wishful thinking. Just like in Russia, same in America, there is a tremendous amount of people who live in America, may, I, I think it's more than half, who are reveling in America's passing. They are reveling in America's destruction, America's demise. They love it that for the first time ever, Fifth Avenue is boarded up. They love it that American cities are swirling, going down the drain. They love it that uh, the American spirit is broken. They love it that people cannot even wear, uh, you know, attire with the American flag or as innocuous, you know, a slogan as make America great again without being harassed. They love it that the major American corporation, Goodyear, you know, has banned uh, make America great again uh, lettering or writing on, for its employees on their clothes, to wear on their clothes. They love it. Lenin said once that the worse it is, the better it is. These people revel in destruction. They consider America, just like the Bolsheviks considered Russia, Imperial Russia, Tsarist Russia, to be the embodiment of all evil, and, and they fervently wanted to, to, to destroy it, to burn it down to the ground, which they did. Same thing with those Americans who vote, vote for the Democratic Party, so-called. Um, they, they want the same for America. They want to destroy it, destroy it utterly. They want to leave nothing standing in America. Okay? They don't, it's not that they don't care that America's flagship, best in the world industries, agriculture, cities, suburbs, and so on, uh, get destroyed. They want them to be destroyed. They actively, they're actively working to destroy them. And we're not talking about a small number of people, folks. That's a mistake. We're talking about, or misconception. We're talking about half or more than half of Americans, of people who live in America. So, and you can see it, you can see it everywhere. I mean, you know, no country can really be called even a country in which its elected president is reviled by about half of its population. Not agreed with, sure, you know, disagreed with, sure, disliked, sure, but reviled, hated, uh, no. That's just not something that, I mean, a, that, a country of, that, that ex, is experiencing that uh, is a country that is no longer really part of this world. It's kind of like a decomposing corpse, maybe the hair and the nails are still growing. And maybe if you look at it from afar, you can't tell in the first instances after death if 
the person is dead or maybe just sleeping but it's dead and that's again what these people are beginning to realize so it's ve these are these are very critical times now my friends because the fates of many people in Russia were sealed for better or worse by their actions and inactions during that crucial time between the Bolshevik coup d'etat in, uh, in October of 1917 and when the Bolsheviks really, really took power and kind of closed the borders and, and, and got everything under their thumb, pro probably around 1920 to 1922. So there were about two to four years in which people could still make some decisions that would decide if they would literally survive or not during that limited period of time. And those who understood what was happening and took the right decisions kind of survived and those who didn't suffered often uh, very bad outcomes including death for themselves and their families. So it's time for us now to open our eyes and see the reality clearly. More on that in the next segment. Stay tuned. back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the show, folks. You know, we were talking in the previous segment how uh, some of very run-of-the-mill conservatives, uh, regular Trump supporters, but not tri Trump psychophants by any stretch of the imagination, are beginning to change their tune lately and sound much more alarmed. I would say much more realistic about what is really happening in America. But there is uh, there are other indications of that as well. For example, it has been recently recorded or reported that uh, July of this year, July 2020, so an almost six times, 566%, they said, rise in application of Jew, applications of Jews, American Jews, to emigrate, repatriate <coughs> to Israel, to our historical homeland. Now, you have to understand that 
while the Zionist movement uh, set uh, as its goal to gather all the Jewish exiles uh, back home to Israel. Uh, this goal, at least until now, uh, was always, um, how should I say, more so re in realistic terms, gathering those exiles that um, came from places where life was bad for Jews. And whether it was from various Muslim countries in the 1950s or <clears throat> from uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed in the 1990s, there were exceptions. For example, when my family uh, left the Soviet Union in 1973, we were offered uh, a simple choice to, to go to Israel or to America. And my father, because he was an ardent Zionist, thank God, chose to come to Israel, for which I'm eternally grateful to him. But many others chose to go to America. Uh, in 1990s, in the early 1990s, America didn't offer that choice to the Soviet Jewry because they were considered to be um, kind of economic uh, rather than ideological refugees. In any case, what I'm trying to say is that uh, there has not been much uh, rape, repatriation to Israel by Jews from the affluent West, uh, whether it's uh, France, England, Canada, Australia, or the United States, where most of today's diaspora Jews by far reside. Um, there's simply no particular reason for American Jews uh, to leave American to go to Israel, they can always do that according to Israel's law of return. And yet America was kind to them, that's all they know, and, uh, and that's, many of them would say, is their homeland. But something's changed. Uh, this July, as compared to July of 2019, six times more Jews spoke to this Israeli government agency or quasi-governmental agency that prepares Jews for repatriation to Israel. Another more anecdotal evidence that I'm hearing uh, here in Canada is that uh, Americans who have dual Canadian citizenship because they are Canadians who came to America for better opportunity you know, decades ago, or were born to Canadian parents, or whatever, <clears throat> and there are many of those. Uh, a lot of Americans with uh, dual Canadian citizenship are uh, thinking of, inquiring about uh, coming to Canada, which in many cases is a country they really know nothing about, not, uh, uh, not a country that uh, they are familiar with, and yet that's what they want to do now. Now, these may be just very small anecdotal kind of um, little tales, but we have to remember that ever since its very earliest beginnings in 1776, America has never ceased to be a magnet for emigration and immigration, and especially by the more hardworking, affluent, 
educated, professional people. And that was the case because America always had less ideological religious persecution and racial persecution as well, ethnic, and more, much more financial opportunity. That has always been the case. And so people left England and Ireland and Canada, and in fact Israel, uh, like we did, like my family did uh, 23 years ago, uh, to come to America and um, take advantage of some of those fantastic opportunities that the country had to offer. Well, it seems now that that trend is reversing itself. Um, that's indicative of something. Uh, when you look at Americans are often so self-contained and self-engrossed kind of in what is happening in America that they don't notice how they're seen or viewed from the outside world, nor do they care. And normally I would say that that's something that's totally understandable. It may not be a very good thing. Nevertheless, I've never thought that this was particularly bad because America was such a leader in the world, such a outlying marker for good, that being too much preoccupied about what the rest of the world does or how it views America was not really necessary. But I think those times are gone. They're behind us. And if you look at America with the eyes of people who live outside of it uh, today, you get a startling picture. America is today a country in which university admissions are inherently, intrinsically racist, prejudiced against those who are not so-called visible minorities, in other words, whites, in every possible way. There is a study that, came, that the federal government apparently had found that Yale University discriminated against whites as compared to non-whites of equal, black, blacks and browns of equal so-called qualifications by a factor of 10 to 4 to 10. So in other words, if you were white, you stood 10% at the worst, 25% at the best chance of getting admitted as compared to an equally qualified black or brown person. But we all know that this is not true and the reality is much worse. Because when they look at things like, for example, high school GPA, we know that high school GPAs are, are tilted in favor of blacks and browns. So in other words, the equal qualification part of this study is uh, incorrect. It's already biased against whites. So the, 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 even by the time those whites apply, they've already been discriminated against plenty as well as there's a lot of intangibles such as extracurriculars and so on. So, in other words, America is a country uh, which is now deeply racist against whites in, in, in the truest sense of, its, of that word, but what is more alarming is that whites constitute about 70% of America's population. So America is a country in which 
its premier institutions of higher learning and not only of higher learning, of government hiring and so on, and even corporate hiring, are ignoring substantially 70% of its populace. I mean, this is kind of funny to say even. And choosing to focus all their attention on only 30%. That is basically equivalent to shooting yourself in both knees before you're scheduled to run the marathon in terms of competing with the rest of the world. America is now a, a, a country in which uh, cities are being burned down, Seattle, Portland, New York, others, and the police forces and uh, are, are powerless to do anything about it. I mean, if you are not an American, you don't really understand all the minutiae of state and local government versus federal government and all these kinds of things, which, by the way, even in America are nothing but poor excuses. But looking from the outside, you don't understand how a country that wishes yet to survive is allowing itself to be taken down by an incited mob without offering substantially any resistance. You don't understand it. It's, it looks horrible. It looks like a country that is in utter turmoil, is in self-destruct mode, and it's a country that you want to stay away from. And not only in terms of going there to live, but in terms of investing in it and so on. So this situation will hurt the American dollar. It will hurt the American economy. And don't look at the stock market. The stock market uh, represents uh, those companies that are listed on it that are American in name only. Most of their manufacturing is outside of America, in most cases, especially technology. And most of their design and R&D is outside of America. And what is not yet outside of America can easily be moved. It's just that they're listed on those American stock exchanges. Uh, and beyond that, since the interest rates today are substantially negative, if you take inflation into account, people, have, people are left with no choice but to gamble in this national casino called the stock market. So that alone is hardly indicative of anything. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that the, the, the front that America is now presenting to the world for the first time ever in its history is really ugly. America has lost any shred of moral authority as well. I mean, America is trying to be high and mighty about, for example, Chinese trade in human organs, you know. And that certainly is horrible. But when you are a country that has allowed about 60, 70 million abortions in the last 50 years, and which had pioneered, <coughs> created a whole industry out of trade in aborted baby parts, you hardly have uh, the moral authority to criticize any other country for doing substantially the same thing.
okay? When you're a country that is so deeply racist that it openly discriminates against the majority of its own population, you can hardly criticize China for mistreating its Muslim Uyghur minority. I mean, the tech companies now said recently that they're going to hire 100,000, no less, people in New York, none of them white. I repeat, none of them white. I mean, what other country in the world could say that or something similar without being called every name in the book? And rightly so. You know, I mean, this is just ridiculous. There is really no moral ground that America can claim anymore with regards to anything. The American election process is a joke, and it's about to become a bigger joke. America is, I firmly believe, the only country in the world in which you can vote without ID, and probably one of the very few ones in which you can vote outside of the dedicated election day, except for uh, some exceptions, like people in the military who cannot make it to the ballot box and so on. I mean, every country that I know of in the world, Canada, Israel, and so on, you show up on the appointed day with your ID in hand to a polling station that was determined by your address, and you get your picture ID checked and crossed against, or cross-checked against uh, uh, a, a voter roll that is in the, her in the hands of a the election committee at that particular polling place, and if there's no match, then you're not voting. Okay? Uh, so that's, you know, the way the American elections are, are, are handled is just ridiculous, and now they're trying to do, to have people basically put some piece of paper in, in the envelope, and, and in an envelope, and send it, God knows where, but God knows how, and there's absolutely no way that it can be verified who that person is and if he or she even have the slightest um, eligibility to cast a vote in their particular jurisdiction. So, in any, you know, America is such a great country and it pains me so much to say all of these things, but they're just true. And the reason I'm saying them in this in, in the show, in this show called Choose to be Free, is because once you realize where America is today and the collapse that it's experiencing and how the, the, the amount of ground that it has given up in the past, oh, decade or so, maybe a couple decades, you really have to start thinking about survival. There are just periods in history in which it is incumbent upon each and every one of us to open our eyes and level our gaze and look at things how they are and not how, they wish, how we would wish them to be and certainly not how they used to be and make some very tough decisions based on what we see. And in making those decisions, 
we can survive and in some cases even thrive. The world has gone through many, and you know, as, as, as somebody whose family had gone through the Holocaust and both my grandfathers were killed fighting the Nazis for the Red Army, I can well know, understand from my own personal history, what it means to make the right choices and the wrong choices. And there was a segment of the show when I went in depth into that. What I want to encourage you to do, and we'll talk more about in the next segment, is start thinking about survival. Start thinking about how you and your family can adopt a defensive survival posture in what is now coming to, to, to be in America. And don't allow <clears throat> the grieving process to overshadow your decision-making process. Stay tuned. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show, folks. So, um, you know, I promised you that, and, and as we always try to do in this show, uh, to give you some advice based on um, my own experience um, on how to survive and even thrive in, the, in this time in which America is undergoing um, transformation from free, prosperous, boundless opportunity to uh, racist, um, less prosperous, and in, and in a country in which opportunity is scarce. And first of all, let me tell you, it's possible to do that. Uh, it is. Um, but there are certain things and certain mindsets that you have to start contemplating. The first one, and I think the most important one, well, the most important one after you realize that you have to do this and that the America you knew and cherished is gone, maybe that's the most important one. So the most important one is to start the grieving process and to understand that grief never brought anyone back from the dead. In other words, no matter how much we grieve for America, and believe me, I do, we will not be able to bring her back. And this has not to do with President Trump's re-election, even though this is something I fervently hope that will happen. It will buy us more time, but his re-election will not change the fundamental direction in which America is going because these are tectonic depth movements 
and they have no political uh, solution. So first of all, we need to realize that we have to do something. And then the question is what? So once we realize that, the most important thing is to try and shield ourselves and more importantly, or most importantly, our children from the poison that we are being bombarded with every day from the left. So if you do, if you have children in the public education system, I think you have three choices. One is to try and uh, find a way to put them in a parochial private school. Those are not great, but they're much, much better. They're also expensive. There are scholarships available, but not everybody can swing it. But that would be one choice. The other choice is homeschooling. There are lots of and lots of online resources, but again, this is not something that every family can, uh, you know, can can take can do, and I don't think our family could have done it back when our children were small. The third choice is to talk to your children. That's what my parents have done with me when I was growing up in the Soviet Union until the age of ten when we left for Israel, and that requires. Uh, you leveling with your children, sitting them down at the kitchen table and telling them point blank that anything they learn in school that is not mathematics or physics or biology is pure garbage, propaganda, evil lies, and so on. You have to tell them that, just in plain language. And then you tell them that they should partition their mind. In one part of their mind, they should learn all of that well enough to spew it back at the teachers and get those A's. But there, sh there should be a firewall between that and the inner part of their minds in which they should not allow any of that to sink in. And they should always understand that whatever they're putting on paper, whatever they're answering is just pure garbage. And that goes to climate change, it goes to diversity, it goes to American and world history, all of these things. Sometimes you have to actively counteract what they're being taught in school. Tell them that, that uh, climate change uh, is uh, weaponized propaganda that the history that they're being taught about how Europeans, European uh, settlers, colonists in America uh, were horrible, you know, rapists and, and um, stole the land. And, well, that's also all weaponized propaganda and a bunch of lies. They have to say it on their exams to get the A's on their homework, on their assignments, but it should be pure pretense. Uh, I did it, <laughs> I guess, in the first, second grade in the Soviet Union. I know that Jews did it in Spain during the, the Inquisition. Uh, those Jews who could, you know, when the, after the Jews were expelled from Spain, most were too poor to go, so they practiced Judaism in secret 
It was very dangerous, but they did it. They pretended to be Christians. Well, your kids can pretend to believe in climate change and all of that nonsense. And by the way, so should you. When you go to these mandated seminars on so-called white privilege, you know, I wouldn't call in sick or anything like that because it could be noticed and your next promotion could be denied or God knows what. You know, and you need all the money you can get and don't hurt your career. Just go there and make sure that none of what you hear penetrates your brains beyond, you know, your eardrums. Laugh at it. You know, make sure that you have a kind of internal immunity against all this poison that they're trying to inject into you. You know, so keeping yourself um, intellectually, ideologically protected is very, very important because if you don't, if you allow your kids and yourselves to be infected with that poison, you basically join the ranks of slaves that these masters of the universe, the Clintons, the Bushes, the Kamala Harrises, whatever, you're, you're going to become what they want you to be, which is their little zombie ant. You know how there's these ants that get zombied by wasps. You know, they literally get some chemical injected into them that alters their brain chemistry and instead of caring for their own offsprings in their, you know, ant nest, they go and carry wood, uh, food and whatever to the wasps, right? Because they become their little slaves, kind of zombies. It's a, it's a, it's a known <clears throat> biological fact or zoological fact. And that's what the leftists want to, to, to make of you. They want to, po they they're, not gonna, they're not poisoning you chemically, even that is questionable because they certainly offer us uh, a lot of chemicals to consume that probably make us weaker both mentally and physically. But most importantly, they poison you mentally through their lies, which they repeat constantly on every possible channel. And if you allow them to poison you like, like that, you, you substantially become one of those zombie ants. Don't do that. If you have to sign your name to something saying that you understand that you have white privilege even though your boss is black and your family had, has al had always lived in poverty, sign it. The, you know, Hold your fingers crossed or whatever you have to do. Have that mental reservation. Have that mental reservation. Do not really commit to it. So keeping yourself ideologically protected is one thing. The other thing is, in every society, they need people like welders, electricians, truck drivers, um, people like that. Be that. If you have a chance to be that, be that, uh, or maybe point your children in that direction. A lot of these types of professions 
uh, are the last to be overrun by immigrant labor. They don't like those types of jobs uh, because they require some skills and so on that they don't they do not have. So it, those are good jobs to have. Anything that you can do with your hands is a great thing to do, is a great choice for right now. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is with at least some of your money buy some rural land. It doesn't much matter what's on it. Uh, if it's very cheap, whatever, maybe there is, you know, in your own state or somewhere, there is some woodlots or whatever that nobody really, you know, thinks much of and they're available for sale for cheap. I did it for myself. You, you, I would strongly recommend it. Buy it. America still has good property laws and those, if they go, will probably be the last to go. There's, there are a lot of reasons why uh, America, even in its post-revolutionary phase, is not likely to mess around with property laws. And owning some land is always a great idea because those those ones and zeros, those electrons that flash at you 25 times per second from your liquid crystal display, in other words, money that you have in the bank, in stocks, in bonds, in cash, whatever, that money they can certainly take away from you very easily. But land, not so much. And the same goes for precious metals like silver and gold. They've gone up quite a bit lately. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not giving you any financial advice per se in terms of investment, but I'm just saying that owning anything like land or like precious metals that does not depend on things like network connectivity and the government cannot control or erase with a stroke of a, a computer key is a great thing to have. It protects your freedom. As well as maybe you can go camping on your land and you know your kids can build little forts on it or whatever. So that's another thing that you can do to keep yourself free. My next piece of advice is reconnect with nature. So try to separate yourself from this urban and even suburban food chain, both in the literal and in the metaphorical sense. In terms of the food that you eat, that you put on your table, try to, there's a lot of opportunities to do this right now. Try to do something farm to table, uh, community, I think it's called CSA, community. Okay, I don't know the acronym. But uh, those um, various farm market type things where you can get meat and veggies delivered to you or you can pick them up somewhere in town from farmers. Try to feed yourself more natural foods. That 
And I think you can do that fairly inexpensively, especially if you learn how to cook. That would be really good and really something that you can start claiming your independence from all this artificial food chain that we're being uh, kind of attached to by those forces that wish to enslave us, right? Um, re reconnect with nature also by choosing to vacation or spend time in places that have fewer people and more trees or desert or lizards or, uh, you know, uh, empty beaches. Uh, America is a big country and there are still many places like that, even if you live in the vicinity of a big city. Even if it's just a short ride from your home, a short drive from your home, or if you have to uh, drive for a few more hours, there is always a place to be found where you can find a stream, a lake, a mountain range, a forest, a piece of shore, ocean shore, with few, if any, people around you. And you can just look at the skies, at the stars, and feel that you're a human being again. Feel free again. Forget about all these cubicles and traffic and so on. Uh, I know that in the Soviet Union, a lot of people like my parents, who one of the biggest ways that they um, kept themselves free was by hiking out in nature. You know, I grew up with my parents. They, you know, the Soviet Union, they did, well, the one good thing is they had a full month of vacation time. And uh, in, in the summer where school, when school was out, they would take me and for, the, for a whole month go hiking in, in the mountains in Georgia, in, in, in the Caucasus, in the Caucasian mountains, a mountain range, or all the way on the shores of the White Sea beyond the Arctic Circle. And we would just have our backpacks and not much else, and we would just hike. I don't know if today people would find it too dangerous to do like we did it back then, but it was not uncommon. Lots and lots of Russians who wanted nothing to do with that oppressive regime that was the Soviet Union, one of the kind of the biggest ways that they rebelled against it was to reconnect with nature on those terms, to go way out there with, not, with nothing more than just a backpack and a, a small tent and a sleeping bag and kind of just reconnect with that primordial landscape. It was really good for people's souls that recharged their batteries and allowed them to kind of rebuild that layer of resistance that they had to put on, that armor that they had to put on before they rejoined the collective. Because throughout the year, this armor gets worn down by those incessant petty attacks, by those bureaucrats and socialist communist party members and all these nasty people, the likes of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. So that's something that I would strongly recommend for Americans who are like-minded. Anyway, my, my friends, um, 
choose to be free. This is the end of this episode and I'll see you next week.